Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it Cashback Match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Harvest. I want to just share um, out of the Gospel of Mark this morning, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. I'm not going to read the passage. It's quite long, but I'm going to refer to it. Um, we want to also say that next Sunday, please remember, will be the final service for Jonathan and Ashley Constantine and uh, Isaiah and baby who's on the way. <laughs> Um, so they are leaving as, as moving to Brisbane. We are still praying. We believe in the God of miracles who can stop them from moving. But we do have to say not our will, but his will be done. Uh, but we love them and we want to remember them next Sunday. So please come on out. We're going to have a time of remembrance, uh, just gathering together uh, with them. There'll be cake and healthy cake, good cake uh, afterwards as well. All right, so in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, this is two actual stories. The first story is about a synagogue ruler named Jairus who approached Jesus, and he, he sent messengers and said to tell Jesus, ask Jesus to come and to heal uh, his servant who was sick. Now, Jesus agrees to come, and I'm sorry, it's not his servant, his daughter, and here's this 12-year-old daughter who's sick, and it's critical. It's, it's a bad case, and so Jesus agrees to go to where this child lay sick. Now, the Bible tells us that great multitudes are following Jesus as he embarks on this journey to Jairus' home. And the interesting thing is... The, the word that is actually used, it says in King James language and even New King James language that there is a throng, a multitude. And the idea is that there's so many people that they were literally pressing uh, and almost suffocating him. If you have ever, you know, seen stampedes and, you know, people in, in sports games where there's just so many people and people get trampled on, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's just so many thousands of thousands of people following Jesus, almost suffocating him. They're crushing him. So Jesus, on his way to Jairus' home, encounters a woman. This woman has what the Bible calls an issue of blood. For many years, she had been sick. It was an, uh, an internal female problem that caused her to bleed. And she had sought help with physicians. She'd gone through conventional, unconventional uh, medical treatments to try to experience healing. But nothing worked. She was still very sick. And so she heard about Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly how she found out that Jesus was going to be passing by her. But... She found out somehow, and so she reasoned in herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, if I can only reach out and touch him, I know I'll be healed. 
Now, please understand that this woman, in thinking that way and acting upon such uh, a, a commitment, was actually going to be violating Judea's law and protocol in every different way. First of all, because she had this situation, under the Levitical law, she was unclean. She was impure. She wasn't supposed to live with people. She wasn't supposed to, you know, be around people. And she couldn't even sit on the same lounge with anyone. So it's, it's a situation where she says, I know that according to the Levitical law, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter because I believe that God is good. And, and, and she violates protocol in the sense that she wasn't invited by Jesus. Uh, the disciples never extended invitation to her. But she said, I'm going to press through the crowd. And if I press through, now remember, all of these thousands of people like just surrounded Jesus and she says, I'm going to make my way, almost like worm her way through the crowd so that she can touch Jesus. What an incredible act of faith. And the Bible tells us that the very moment that she reached out and touched him, the bleeding stopped. Very interesting. It's like, a, like a, a fountain that was shut off instantaneously. So for all of these years, she had this problem. She just reaches out and touches Jesus, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus responds, and he says, someone touch me. Now, think about that. Like, Jesus, there's thousands of people surrounding you. What do you mean someone touched you? Of course, a lot of people have touched you. And Jesus said, no, this is a different kind of touch. This is a touch of faith. This is a touch of expectancy. And because of this touch, there was virtue or power that was released from me. And this power was activated and released so that it literally flowed out of Jesus into that woman and she was healed. At that very moment, the woman knew that she had violated protocol and she, Jesus saying, who touched me? He looks around. Who was it? Who touched me? And the woman's like, I got to be honest. I've got to tell the truth here. It was me. And the Bible says that she was trembling in fear. And Jesus looked at her, and he said, woman, you have great faith. You have faith. He said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has delivered you. Your faith has made you whole. And then Jesus says, go into peace. Very interesting. When he issued that command, many, many times he did that, didn't he? Go into, go into peace, right? Enter into the shalom of God. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Enter into that place of completeness. In the Greek language, it literally says, go into peace. Not just go in peace like I wish you well. Jesus is actually saying in the Greek, go into shalom. Enter into the place of the completeness of God. Of everything that he has made available to you, nothing missing, nothing broken, go into that place because of your faith. You have legally authorized that the doors have opened so you can now walk into that place. Nothing missing, nothing broken, completeness. 
in the midst of that great time of celebration, this amazing miracle, you know, a messenger is sent from Jairus' home. Tell Jesus, it's too late. The little girl's dead. Don't trouble him. Leave him alone. She's dead. It's a lost cause. It's too late. And you know, such a report is really a report that shows us very clearly what we call, I call finite faith. Faith that has boundaries. Faith that has limitations. Faith that literally says, I can believe God up to this point, but then beyond that, no, it's not going to happen. And I think a lot of us have experienced that in life. I believe God, and then we come into a situation, we experience something in our life that is just in the natural, it's just impossible. It's, there's just no way it's going to happen. And at that point, it's almost like, well, trouble, don't, don't, don't trouble the master. Leave the master alone. Leave, leave the teacher. It's, it's useless. It's a lost cause. It's too late. Finite faith. Faith that has limitations. Faith that has boundaries. It's like the children of Israel in Psalm chapter 78. They literally said this, that they tested God. They were guilty of testing God. And it says they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. They put limitations on God. They governed God in the sense that they said, God, you know what? We know that you can't do this. We don't believe that you can move in this situation and circumstance. And when Jesus hears the report, it's okay, Jesus. You can go back home. It's too late. She's dead. Jesus does not accept that report. He does not agree with that testimony. He specifically says, no, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. And so Jesus continues the journey, and he comes to the home of the synagogue ruler, and there's this great commotion. It's a tumult. It's like almost, it's, it's just so loud. There's so many people. They're mourning. They're weeping in the custom of that time. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus still believes that anything is possible. And he commands the people that were in the room to leave. He goes into the room where this little girl, 12 years of age, was lying, now dead. And Jesus, as it says in Aramaic, says Talitha Kumai, which means fresh one, little girl, arise, get up. He speaks to a dead body. Every people begin to mock Jesus. This is ridiculous. This is crazy. How is it that this little girl could live? And Jesus says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And when you look in the scripture, it's, it's an amazing thing. There's several places where the Bible talks about how nothing is too difficult for God. The person who believes in God will, that will experience the impossible. Like in Matthew 19, it says, with God, nothing is impossible. And a lot of people believe that. 
A lot of people, a lot of Christians will say, I believe God can do anything. With God, nothing is impossible. But the problem with that is it's still limiting him. Because do you know that the devil believes that? Demons believe that, according to James, and they tremble. But it's not enough just to believe that with God, nothing's impossible. In Matthew 17, Jesus says this, For the person who believes or has faith in God, nothing shall be impossible. We've got to shift from just saying, God can do anything, to the point where we acknowledge anything can happen to me because I believe in a supernatural God. I am not in a place where necessarily I see it, but I believe it. And faith perceives as fact that which is not revealed to the senses. Faith looks at what in the natural. Faith calls those things that are not as if they were. And faith says, this is what God has promised. This is what God has said. And because Jesus was tuned into his heavenly father, he knew exactly what the purpose of his father was. You know, Jesus interrupted so many funerals. It's amazing. I mean, rigor mortis, that wasn't an issue with him. Nothing was difficult. Jesus showed up on multiple funerals as recorded in the gospel. And he raised the dead. He raised the dead on multiple occasions. And the whole concept here is the principle of moving from the place of having limited faith, faith that is finite, faith that has boundaries, Faith that has conditions. Faith that says, I believe God can up to this point. But we set parameters on God. What happens beyond that point? Mm, don't bother the master. And sometimes we do the opposite. We look at our situation and, and we warrant that because it's not serious, it's not terminal, it's not grave, then it's really not of concern to God. Like he doesn't really care. It's not a big deal. And so we don't ask God to help us because we, we literally prioritize our needs based on, you know, what we think is, is big or small. And God wants you to understand that to him, a need is a need. It doesn't matter. There is no uh, conditions or limitations with God. There's nothing that is so, so big and so, so you know, difficult that God can't operate in that realm of your life. And there's nothing that is seemingly so trivial or insignificant that it escapes his care. He loves us. And if you look at the Gospels, I don't care what we've experienced. I don't care what I've experienced or not experienced. I am not going to develop or devise a theology based on my life experiences. I'm going to believe according to what the word of God says. And when we have a revelation of the resurrection, it changes everything. Do you know that Paul prayed for the believers that they would have a resurrection revelation? He prayed for that repeatedly. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, he, he prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and then verse 19 specifically, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. 
And I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And I want you, Paul says, and I'm praying for you that you will understand this, that he literally says in the Greek that your heart, the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light so that you would have a revelation of what he has done and that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Again, in Ephesians 3.20, Paul makes this amazing declaration. We often use it, you know, as, as a benediction. And it literally says, Now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. The King James, New King James, talk about how he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. Now here, let me give you a little Greek lesson. Are you ready? The word that is translated exceedingly is the Greek word from which we get our English word hyper. The word that is translated abundantly literally comes from two different words. But the idea is this. The word literally The main word literally means this, to be permeated, to be saturated, to be covered, to be enveloped, to be encircled, round about, all over, and through. May you have such a revelation, and not just an abundant revelation of the resurrection power so that it literally so gets in you, so permeates you, so pierces you, that you understand it, it's roundabout all over you and through you, but he says, but may you have a hyper revelation of that. We're talking about a revelation on steroids. He's not just saying an ordinary revelation, but may you have a hyper revelation. The same Greek word that is translated more abundantly, for example, in John chapter 10, verse 10, It's translated in Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 51, beyond measure. God's saying, may you have such a revelation of the resurrection that it's beyond measure. It's incontainable. And then he adds the word exceedingly or hyper in front of it. May you know the fullness of his power that he says that works in us. Notice this. He says, may you have a revelation that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think. How? According to the power that works in us. According to the dunamis that is at work like energy in us is what he's saying. There is a power that God says, I want you to experience it at work in your life. When you plug into a power source, into a power point, let me tell you, you know that you've connected to it. And so I don't understand about Christians that, you know, like I don't understand the power. I don't know. Where is this power? We talk about the power. We sing about the power. But where is the power? It's in us. 
Romans 8, 11 says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If you've truly been born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that literally came into Jesus when he was in the earth on the third day and entered him and raised him up to life again and literally exalted him to the right hand of his Father far above all principality, might, and dominion both in this age and in the age to come. That's the same spirit that dwells in us. Here's the interesting thing. How do we tap into such power? Paul says this in Philippians 3.10. I want to know him. The fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. There can be no resurrection without death. There is no resurrection without death. So Paul cries out and he says, listen, he'd seen miracles. He literally had raised people back to life at this point in his ministry. When he wrote this, he was in prison. And he cries out and he says, I want to know him. The more we know him, the more we realize there is to know of him. And he says, I want to know him. I want to know this power. Then he asks something that in the could almost be misconstrued as Paul being sadistic. He says, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. What was he meaning when he spoke of the fellowship of his sufferings? He says, being conformed to him in his death is what he says. Being conformed to him in his death. I want to be so dead. I want to be so dead to self, to myself, to my ways, to my desires, to sin, to this world, that I am fully alive in Christ. And when you're fully alive in Christ, there's no limitations. There's nothing that becomes impossible. The word that is translated power in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 we know is dunamis. But he says, I give you power to be witnesses. The word that is translated witness in English comes from a Greek word, martus, which literally means martyr, a martyr. What is a martyr? Someone who's so convinced, so, so committed to something that they're willing to die, correct? So God says, I give you power to become a martyr. Wow, I don't want to become a martyr. I want power to raise the dead. I want power to heal the sick. I want power to walk in the water. I want power to prosper. I want power to cast out demons. I want power to, to you know, prevail in this life. And God says, no, I'm going to give you power to be a martyr. Now, not everyone physically will die for Christ. Even among the 12, we know that John didn't physically die. He wasn't a martyr. He was the only one of the 12. But there is a sense in which we're all called to die. And that is by being conformed to the fellowship, his death, the fellowship of his sufferings. And there's this amazing verse that's found in 1 Peter chapter 4, actually two verses, the first two verses. And it speaks about the person who suffers in their flesh. And, and it speaks about how we come into the sufferings of Christ. We share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And it says once we do that, what happens is we move to a place that we no longer live for the lusts of men, but we live for the will of God. Mm. That you should no longer live for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's the purpose. 
I love the way the message paraphrases it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as weaning from the old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Whoa. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. There's a way that seems good to a man. Good. But the end thereof is death. It culminates in death. There's a way that seems good. It seems right. It just seems like this is good. And it's humanistic. It's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is very simply this. Jesus taught it in no uncertain terms. Take up your cross. What was the cross, guys? It was an instrument that fulfilled facilitated capital punishment. It was an instrument of death. Take up your cross and follow him. Die, die, die. And then sometimes like, God, I think I'm dead. And then we go to get back up, and you know, like somebody is like in, in a fight, you know, and it's like oh, eight, nine, and the, guy, the, the boxer gets up, and then boom, he goes down and he's out, KO'd. And at that point, God says, okay, now I can use you. Now I can use you. Why is it that we go through situations and circumstances where in the natural, there's no way out? In the natural. When you feel ostracized, when you feel isolated, when you feel overwhelmed, guess what? You are at the end of yourself, and at the end of self is the beginning of God. We know the word is clear. What is the purpose of dying to self? That you might shift into the resurrection realm. Let's look at the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 says this. And I love there's actually two different translations here we're going to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 speaks about how we have the sentence of death in ourselves. There should be a slide for this. We have the sentence of death in ourselves. Paul speaking about all the difficulties, all the hardship that he went through, how he suffered, he was persecuted. And he said, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. The New Living Translation says, as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. There comes a point when we stop trusting in self that we shift into the place known as the resurrection realm. God's will is not that when we go through difficulty, we worry, we get stressed out, we, we end up, you know, just going through all this difficult time and then, you know, we try to, to solve the problem, we try to heal ourselves, and then at the end when we finally realize, well, this really isn't working, then we, okay, God, now it's your turn. God's like, no, your initial default response should be, turn to me. Turn to me. Turn to me. It's not like, if, well, if I can, if I got enough money, I can, I can make this thing work. You know, if I, I'm, I'm smart enough, I can, I can sort it out. If I'm strong enough, I can surely talk, cause this situation to turn around. 
And then we think about the children of Israel because if you study the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the process of discipleship always brings us to a place where we can't go forward except by the supernatural intervention of God in our lives. The children of Israel came out of, the, out of, the, out of Egypt and then the first thing that happens is boom, there's a Red Sea in front of them. How are you going to cross this? Uh, let's sit down, let's strategize, let's work out a plan. Now, Nothing can't make it happen. It's not going to happen. God brings his people to a place known as wit's end. Wit's end. And in, in the book of Chronicles, chapter, two, chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat and his men, they are attacked by an army that has far outnumbered them. And they make a declaration. They, the, they begin to cry out to God in prayer. And interestingly, they say something like this. God, we are not strong enough and we're not smart enough, but our eyes are on you. And look, guys, it's not enough just to say, God, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough. Like, that's the beginning. But it, they have to have, but our eyes are on you. We look to you. We're trusting in you. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I will lift up my eyes to the hill from whence comes my salvation. God is my deliverer. God is the one who's going to see me through. God, And then sometimes we just settle, guys, for mediocrity. We settle for something that is not God's promise for our lives. And we live in the wilderness. We camp in the wilderness when God says, How long will you wander around this mountain? It's time to go up and take the land. Jonathan ministered on this brilliantly last Sunday. And God's saying, Why are you content? In Zephaniah 1 verse 12, God says, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And he said, and I will punish those who are settled in their complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good. Did you hear that? They are settled in their complacency. They say in their heart, the Lord will not do good. They stop believing for miracles. They stop believing for healing. They stop believing for breakthrough. They just kind of said, it is what it is. If God wants to do something, he knows my address. He knows where I live. He can move. He can do it. And God says, no, that's not the way I work. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Seek me, and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Don't withdraw passively. God's saying, you've got to contend. You've got to believe like the woman who pressed through the crowd and reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, we've got to contend. Not like those who had finite faith that said it's too difficult, let's withdraw. We tried, it didn't work out. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, I am he that lives and was dead and behold, I live forevermore and I had the keys of hell and death. And I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, she shall live. Did you hear that? Though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus turned and looked at the multitudes. And I love the way the King James puts it. Believest thou this? Right? I mean, come on. There's just an anointing on that. Like, do you believe this? That sounds okay, but believest thou this? Whoa, boom. That just, like, there's mega anointing on that. Do you believe? 
Oh, yeah, anybody can say, oh, theoretically, God can do anything. But do you believe in your situation, in your circumstance, right now, right now, not next week, not next year, right now, do you believe that it can happen? That's what he's saying. God's saying, I want to move in your life. So God wants to reveal his glory to us. Let me share with you in closing three reasons why you will come to a crux, a crossroad, You'll hit a wall where you can't move forward. You can't break through except with the intervention of God in your life. Remember in the very beginning, the messengers requested that Jesus come and lay his hands on the sick girl. He never did that. He never laid his hands on her. Why? Because she was dead. What did he do? He took her by the hand and he lifted her up. Now, they were believing for healing. Jesus was believing for a greater purpose, resurrection. So well, the idea is this, God often will not answer our prayers because he has something greater he wants to do. God, get me out of this situation. God says, no, I'm going to let you sink deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you get to that point where you realize, oh my gosh, God, he said, watch the glory. Watch the glory. Watch what I do. God is the God of 11.59, isn't he? But he does keep time well, trust me. But he is a God who seemingly allows us to get to that point of death before he brings resurrection life. Why? That we won't trust in ourselves. That we'll acknowledge we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough. Everything about the gospel flies in the face of humanism. Flies in the face of it. You know, some people say, well, religion is a crutch. I said, it's not a crutch, it's a stretcher. It's not a crutch. That's, that's, God, doesn't, God doesn't want, you know what it is? It's a casket. It's not, it's not a crutch, it's a casket. He wants you dead and buried. That's what he wants. And the Bible's clear, when that happens, God will stretch our faith to a place where nothing is impossible for us who believe. He'll bring us into the resurrection realm where there is no limitations, no conditions, no restrictions. We trust him implicitly. The eyes of your heart, my heart, would be flooded with light. How's that happen? By the Holy Spirit, through the word. God, show me, show me, show me, show me. Look at, if you haven't started to sink, that means you're still in the boat. Everybody said, oh, Peter, his faith wavered, vacillated. Yes, he did, but he got out of the boat, guys. Good on him. He got out of the boat. Right? And you've heard me say this. God would rather have a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. A wet water walker, not just a dry boat talker. Lots of dry boat talkers. Mm, I believe God can do this, and I know. Then get out of the boat if you believe it. Put, take some risk. Step up. Surrender. Do what God's called you to do.
But what if I lay hands on them and they're not healed? What if you lay your hands on them and they are healed? What, what if I share Christ with them and they reject the gospel? What if you share Christ with them and they receive the gospel? Get out of your boat. Step out. Do what God has called you to do. Only one life. Only one life to live. The clock is ticking away. There's a great harvest. There's great breakthrough. There's miracles. What if I fast and pray and I'm not healed? What if you fast and pray and you are healed? What if you fast and pray and your family gets saved? What do you have to lose? Nothing. A few pounds maybe. Kilos, right? Sorry. That's it. That's it. What if? What if? He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When we were away last week in Adelaide, it was amazing. There's some amazing ministry church, full on, fire for God. 300 people plus just worshiping God, the presence of God just filled the place. It's amazing. And let me tell you guys that because of that atmosphere and of people that are willing to take risks, of people that are willing to step out, they've experienced many miracles. They've even seen the dead raised, literally. There's a place and a time. And now's the time and now's the place to say, you know what? With God, all things are possible, but I believe. And as Jesus took the little girl's hand and he said, arise. And he saw a, a miracle take place, the resurrection. I'm telling you, there are situations and circumstances right now that seemingly look dead. Your marriage might seem dead. Your kids might seem dead in sin and trespasses. It might seem dead and, and, and your, your destiny might seem dead. Your dreams might seem dead. But let me tell you that God is a God of resurrection. He wants to resurrect your destiny and your dreams. He wants to resurrect your lost ones. He wants to resurrect your body that is sick. He is a God that heals and I proclaim let God be true and every man a liar in the name of Jesus Christ. God is true. It doesn't matter how many times I've been prayed for and I've seemingly not experienced it. It doesn't matter how many times I am going to keep believing and I'm going to keep contending and I'm believing for a greater glory. I'm believing for a glory that we've not yet seen on this planet. I'm believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that has not yet been experienced in Australia because the prophetic destinies and the very words and assignments that God has said that he wants to bring to pass in this nation are destined to happen but he has to find a people that will move beyond the place of limitation and will say you are the God that raises the dead and there is nothing that is too difficult for you I believe in you I believe in you you are the God of miracles let's stand this morning in the presence of the Lord let's stand this morning in the presence of the Lord we're here today because we believe in him he is the God of miracles. The one who made the lame to walk, the blind to see. He's here today. He's here, guys. He's here today, guys. He's here today. He's here right now. He's here right now. Listen, when Jesus stood before Lazarus, when Lazarus was dead, they said, Jesus, if you had to come earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus said, I'm always on time. Don't worry. It's not just about healing a sick man. It's about a resurrection. 
Why? 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 Because this is for the glory of God. I'm going to raise someone back to life again. Why is it? God is not glorified in anyone's sickness, guys. If God is glorified through our sickness, why do we take medicine? We have to believe that God is a God who heals every sickness and every disease. He says, behold, I give you authority over every sickness and every disease is what Jesus said. That's what he said. That's what he said. Religion says God is using it for it to, to punish you or God is using it to test you. God is doing it for this. That is a lie. That is a religious spirit that is trying to deceive you. He said, I give you all authority over every sickness and every disease. He's the God who heals. And when Lazarus was in the grave and people were doubting and people were saying, oh God, uh, you know what? Uh, it's too late. And, 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 and Jesus said, do you believe that he will live? Yeah, yeah, one day he'll, he'll live in, at the resurrection. Yeah, on the last day, yeah, he'll live. And, and then Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Now, now, now. And then he said, do you believe? Believest thou this? And then he said it one more thing. He said, did I not say to you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You know, many people saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw the resurrection. They couldn't deny that a dead man had been raised to life. But not everyone saw the glory. How do I know that? Because some of the people that witnessed the resurrection gathered together and said, let's kill Jesus and let's kill Lazarus. So you can see a miracle and not see the glory. But if you believe, you'll see the glory. If you believe, you'll see the glory. But what if I'm, I'm prayed for and it doesn't happen? Then you pray again. Yes. You keep praying. Every time the altars are open, if you're sick, you need to be up here. You need to be getting ministered to. You need to be praying. You need to be seeking God. And don't just say, well, you know, if God knows what I'm doing. No, no, no. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Like the woman. He could have said, oh, look, you know what? There's so many people. I, I, I broke through this, this crowd and, and I was able to move through this room. But now... Oh, no, the crowd's just too thick. And, 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 and she wouldn't have experienced her miracle if she had stopped. But she just said, I'm going through. I'm going to break through the crowd. I'm going to push my way through the crowd. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what laws or protocol I violate. I believe that God is a miracle for me. And I'm going to move into my destiny. And I'm going to press into Jesus. And I'm going to press into him. And no matter what hell or high water would come against me, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going until I break through and I touch the hem of his garment and power is released. Power to change you, to deliver you from discouragement, deliver you from mindsets and victimization and, and hurt and pain and, and any other thing that has held you back. God's saying, press through, press through. Touch my son, touch my son, touch my son, touch my son, church. Touch my son, church. Touch my son, church. Reach out for the son, church. Reach out for the son, church. Break through the obstacles. Break through those things that would try to hold you back in the natural. Touch, touch, reach out, break through. Keep pressing, keep going, 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 keep going. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. God, I want to know you. You might be here this morning and you're like, I don't even know God. I've heard the Bible, but I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. I'm here to tell you today that God is saying, press through into that place. Press through until you know him. Press through until you encounter him. Pray, seek him until you experience him in his power. So you just like God, whatever, you reveal yourself to me. God say, no, 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 no. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. 
That's what he said. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I'm here to tell you, if you just open your heart this morning even, you don't know God, I'm telling you, he's going to touch you. 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 He's going to do something in your life. The power and the presence of God is here this morning. I want to pray for you. 10 for $10 is back at Meyer. This week, buy 10 items, get the 11th free, and get it delivered right to your door with free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. Save on Progresso or Campbell's tomato or chicken noodle soup, Chex Mix, Green Giant frozen vegetables, or Meyer facial tissue. All 10 for $10, get the 11th free. Meyer is here to help you save more and spend less, and with 10 for $10, get the 11th free and free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. You can stock up on everything you need. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meyer app.